I don't, I don't know if you've ever uh, taking, taken a child shopping for something new, but it's kind of a different experience. So I've got, I've got four kids, and my two oldest are boys. And um, I, made the, I did this thing where I decided when they turned seven, I would take them on their first backpacking trip, just me and them. And uh, so I remember for both of them, when they turned seven, we had to like buy some new gear for them to go backpacking. And, you know, it's interesting when I go into a store to look at camping or backpacking equipment, there's certain things I'm looking at. I'm looking at the size and the fit and specifications and uh, warmth rating and all these things that I'm looking at for backpacking gear. But, you know, I take my boys into the store and their eyes just see completely different things. It's like when we're looking at backpacks, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, hey, does this fit you right? And what's the volume in liters of this pack? And they're going, Dad, look at the color of this one. This color is awesome. Oh, cool. Look at that zipper. Look how, oh, that's really neat. I like, it's like they're looking at stuff that really is inconsequential. You know, we're looking at headlamps and they're like, man, this one looks, looks so cool. You know, I'm looking at how many lumens it has and how long the battery life is. And they're looking at the color and the design. It's like totally things that, yes, they matter, but ultimately they, they feel kind of inconsequential. I remember every time they get something new, I'm always shocked at the thing they choose to celebrate about the thing I got them. Like when we rent a car, if we ever rent a car, I'm always like, hey, is this car gonna be reliable? Like, whoa, dad, look at all the buttons on the dash. Wow, it's like, (laughs) they are drawn to the flash. They're drawn to the flare. And those are the things they look for. And yes, those things matter, but ultimately they're not the things that matter most, right? And you know, we're gonna see in this story in Luke chapter 10 today, that this propensity is not just in children, but it's in all of us to be drawn to the flash, to be drawn to the flare, that that is the thing that tends to capture our mind first. And so just to kind of catch you up on where we've been in this series, you know, we started this series of the, the week that the fast started, and we kind of looked actually at the end of Luke chapter 10, and remember that week, the first week, the theme was like, would you awaken us to the people around us? And then we, we kind of kept going through that series, and we've got this kind of recapped up on the screen here. You know, the next week we said, God, would you awaken us to your presence with us? This idea that friendship with Jesus comes before fruitfulness. And we said, God, would you awaken us to your purpose for us, that he longs to send us out. He says, hey, come and see, now go and tell. And then last week we said, God, would you awaken us to your power within us, that he is the one that does all the heavy lifting so that those who do not know him, those that, that, that are bound for an eternity separated him for, can come to know him. And then this week, we're gonna be kind of looking at this idea of saying, God, would you awaken us to your perspective for us? So we've walked through all of this stuff. Jesus, what is it you want us to see? What, what is your perspective on this whole thing that we've been about over the last month as we've prayed and fasted and celebrated and sought you? What is your perspective on it all? And so this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 10. And I'm gonna start reading in verse 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, just looking at a few verses this morning. This is what Luke says. He says, the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. That's kind of weird. And to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right, this is the word of the Lord out of Luke 10. And so if you're joining us for the first time, here's how the story has been unfolding. At the beginning of, of Luke chapter 10, Jesus is gathering his disciples towards him. 
And if you look back in, in earlier in Luke chapter nine, it says that Jesus, he's been spending time kind of in Northern Galilee and he has set his face on returning to Jerusalem because he knows that's where he's going. He knows he's gonna be crucified. He knows he's gonna raise from the dead. All these things are about to come and he is heading to Jerusalem and he gets these 72 disciples and he says, hey, I want you to go ahead of me to every village. He says, I want you to look for the folks that welcome you, receive you, the folks where God, where the spirit is already at work and I'm gonna come in behind you. He says, go like lambs among wolves. You remember that? He says, go ahead of me. And so, you know, I know sometimes we read stories like this and it's hard to get our minds around like that this was in a real place, in a real time. Um, I'm kind of a map guy, you know, so I like to have maps on the screen. I have a little map this morning. I want to show you kind of, hey, this isn't a story that took place in some random unknown place. Like, this was unfolding in a very real geographical place. So here you see the Mediterranean Sea and there uh, on, on the right side of the screen, we're gonna, that little box right there, let's go ahead and blow that box up. And so this is where this is taking place. So the green arrow at the top of the screen or the green star, this is where they are at the beginning of Luke chapter 10. The red star at the bottom is Jerusalem. That's where they're getting ready to head. It's a distance of around 85 to 90 miles. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to go ahead of me between the green star and the red star, go into every village and begin to proclaim to them that the kingdom of God is coming near. Now, this distance, it's about the distance of going from Cookville to Nashville or Nashville to Cookville. Okay, and kind of heading that way and they're walking, they're on foot. So this is a very, in real time, in a real place, two by two, these 72 disciples are going out into all these villages and they're looking for the places where the spirit of God has gone ahead of them, knowing that Jesus is coming in behind them. And what happens in verse 17, it's somewhere in between, we don't know if Jesus was just hanging out up north, if Jesus was slowly making his way behind them, uh, but at some point they all come back to Jesus. And that's where we pick up in verse 17. They've been out ministering over this huge swath of land and, and they come back to Jesus and the first thing that they say to him when they return is they're like filled with joy and they come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, man, even the Spirit submits us in your name. They're like so pumped up, like so excited. They are rejoicing because they've seen things happen that they did not know were possible. Like, man, Jesus, as we've gone out and proclaimed in your name, like demons submit to us. We know that from Matthew's account of this story, it wasn't just that demons were submitting, it's that sickness was leaving and the dead were raising, like miraculous things were happening as they went out and ministered in the name of Jesus. Guys, here's what I want us to see in this right now is that so often we look at, this, we look at stories like this and we go, it sounds so foreign and far away and distant. And yet the reality, it took place in a very real place, very concrete, like geographical location in real time. And the reality is it did not just happen 2,000 years ago, but the work that Jesus sent those 72 out on, he is still doing today. All of the things he did right here, he's still doing today. And in reality, if we will have eyes to see it, it's what he's been doing right in our midst, in our city over the last month. Like all the things that they saw, we have been seeing unfold. This is why every week of Awaken, we've had people come up here and share testimonies. Because what we want us to see as a church family, hey, this that happened back then is that thing that's actually happening right now. That, that Jesus is bearing fruit in our midst. You know, you, you look back over how this has unfolded. You know, four years ago, we, we kind of sensed God saying, hey, will, will you spend a month, 30 days praying and fasting together as a church? And so we started this. You know, the first time we did it four years ago, it was... 
It was called Fast Forward. I don't know if you remember that, you know? And, and so for 30 days, just as a church body, we, we gave ourselves to fasting and praying. And then the next year, we felt like we were supposed to do it again. So we did it again, just as a church body. In the third year, the third year, you know, last year, we, we thought, man, I, this is something we're supposed to invite the whole city on. And so, so we started mobilizing other churches. And last year, we had over 400 churches in our city that began to pray and fast with us. You see the, the body of Jesus coming together. And then this year, it was like, do it again. So we did it again. And we had over 700 churches across our city and across the state that came together under the banner of the name of Jesus. And I just want to tell you these things we read about in Luke 10 are happening right in our midst. You know, I'll share a few stories. Will you guys want to hear some stories about how this is happening right now? It's like, you know, over the last month, it's been really cool. There's been, there's been churches that keep calling and saying things like, you know, we have not had a new face in our church in years. But over this last month, every single Sunday, new people are just showing up. Like, well, why, are, why are they coming? Like, what's happening in our city that people are just randomly showing up to church that haven't in years? Some church leaders are calling and saying, hey, we, we actually have not seen a person come to faith in Jesus. We haven't seen a conversion, a decision made for Jesus in recent memory. And over this past month, you know, some churches are like, we've had three people, we've had four people. We've had, it's like they just keep seeing people that are coming and putting their faith in Jesus for the first time in years. And then you get, you get beyond this. It's like there's some amazing things that are happening. There's one group of pastors, their churches were participating in Awaken. It's a small group of pastors, and they, they get together every, uh, once a month on Tuesday mornings, they will, they will gather to pray together. This is before Awaken started, and when Awaken started, they continued that tradition. They said, hey, we're going to pray every month Tuesday morning as a group of pastors that are united for our city. And something happened during Awaken that one of those pastors that, that meets, he went to the doctor on a Monday uh, just for a checkup, and they had some things they were concerned about. They did a scan, and they came back to him on a Monday afternoon and said, hey, uh, you have stage four cancer and you have a 25% chance of making it through the end of this year. And you can imagine like the weight of that. So this guy and his family, they, they call their loved ones, but some of those that he called are these pastors that he prays with on Tuesday morning. They said, okay, we're gonna pray tomorrow morning. This was a Monday. They said, hey, Tuesday morning, we're gonna pray tomorrow morning uh, for you, so come ready to be prayed for. So these pastors gather 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning on a patio of a restaurant, and while they're sitting there praying for their brother or another pastor at another church to be healed, one of them just feels so convicted, and he just says, he says, guys, do we believe in the Bible? And they're like, well, yeah, we're pastors. No, he's like, do we believe the Bible? He says, because James tells us that that when someone is sick, we should anoint them with oil. The elders should anoint them with oil. And they will be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says, we have elders right here in our midst and our brother is sick. He's like, does anybody have oil? And one guy had a little flask of oil that he carries with him. And so they began to anoint this guy with oil and pray for him. And one of these pastors was so moved in faith that, and he doesn't come from a tradition that really does this. But he was so moved in faith, he stood up and he put his hands on his brother and he just started commanding cancer to leave his body in the name of Jesus. Now, that, in that moment, it was like, it didn't really feel like a whole lot happened. The coming Friday, three, four days later, guy goes to the doctor, you know, and they decided to do another scan. Now, some of you, you already know where the story is going and you're already struggling to believe it. But he went in for a scan and he comes out and the doctors are like, hey, that, it's, that cancer that was there is gone. Like, we don't know what to do with that. We're gonna do some blood work just to make sure. So they do some blood work. And again, they cannot find anything. The same test they did on Monday that showed stage four cancer was gone, like healed completely, gone. This happened in our state. It happened this month. 
as people all across our state are praying and fasting and seeking the name of Jesus. I think of another story. Uh, There's a woman, she's a Pakistani woman, and she lives in Nashville, but she ministers all over the world. And she felt really moved during this month of prayer and fasting uh, to pray specifically for Muslims, that Muslims would come to know Jesus. And she had one particular friend who was a Muslim uh, background woman who came to know Jesus. And when she came to Christ, her family was very resistant to this. In fact, her own brother physically beat her up because she put her faith in Jesus. During Awaken, this woman, uh, the, the, woman the, the Muslim who became Christian, she calls this Pakistani woman and she says, hey, my, my dad is in a coma. He's in the hospital. Would you come and pray for him? Now, I want you to imagine this. She's like, wait a minute, you mean your dad, your is your family there? She's like, yeah, my whole family's here, my brother. She's like, the brother that beat you up, he's there, and you want me to come pray for him. And this woman's courage and bravery, she goes through the hospital, she comes into the room, and she prays for this dad in the name of Jesus. Now, the dad woke up from the coma, the dad was healed, and the brother got to watch as this woman prayed in the name of Jesus for his dad, and he was healed. And, you know, that brother has since come to faith in Jesus because, because the miraculous... The miraculous happened in the name of Jesus right before his eyes. Guys, guys this, this, is not, this is not ancient history. This is the way God works. It's the way he moves. You know, here in our own church, we've, we've seen, we saw 16 people give their lives to Jesus in baptism last Sunday night, and we felt the move of the Spirit in this room, right? It's like uh, in Northeast, you can go on and on. Northeast Tennessee, this, the very beginning of the fast, this little church in Northeast Tennessee, a revival broke out. And for 28 consecutive days, people gathered. It was not planned. People gathered in this building to worship, to pray, to confess sin, to be baptized, to repent, to step into more of the Lord. The Lord is he's opening something up, guys. It's happening right in our midst. We're seeing it unfold. What we are witnessing in our city and across our state is nothing short of miraculous. Guys, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's what Jesus told them to say. Hey, when this happens, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Guys, the kingdom of God has come near. And I love this. They come back to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, it's been amazing. They're like full of joy. And then Jesus replies. He replies. He looks at them and he says, he says what seems kind of weird at first. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, here's what Jesus is saying there. He is affirming all that they've said. They've said, Jesus, even demons submit to us. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. While you were out, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he said, I have seen a shift in the spiritual realities all around us because of the ministry you're doing in the spirit. Something has shifted. He says, guys, you have shifted heavenly realities. Now, this is so hard for us to get our mind around. You know, as a bunch of moderns, you know, this idea of a spiritual realm of, of the heavenlies, it's so mysterious to us. And, you know, here's, here's one way to help us think about it. You know, there's all different spectrums of light, right? And our naked eye cannot see all those spectrums. You know, for example, UV rays. Like, we can't see them, but we all know where they're there. That's why we put on sunscreen when we go to the beach, right? Because we know that UV rays are there. We can't see them, but we know that they're there. You guys, in the, in the spiritual and the physical, there are things all around us that we cannot see. And I know this sounds weird, but it all comes straight from here. And Jesus has the ability to see it all. And what he tells his disciples in this moment, he says, yes, the demon submitted to you. There's been a shift in the heavenly reality. I have watched Satan lose ground before you as you've gone out and ministered in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. There's a shift in the heavenly realms. 
And guys, we don't talk about this a whole lot because it's hard for us to get our mind around. It is mysterious. You know, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, there's this really interesting verse. I think we have this. We're going to put it on the screen where the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Asia Minor in the first century. And he's going, I want you to understand one of the roles of the church. He says his intent, this is God's intent, well, this, that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. Where? In the heavenly realms in the heavenly realms, that there are spiritual rulers and authorities that we cannot see with our naked eye, and God longs to use us, his people, to make his wisdom known, to testify to the heavenly realities. Guys, did you know that during a season of prayer and fasting, it's not just for the physical change that we're looking for, but we are looking to see a shift happen in the spiritual realities over our city, over our state, over our nation, and over the nations, that we long to see the strongholds that would seek to kill and steal and destroy to be overcome by the power and the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That as we pray and fast, guys, there is a shift in the spiritual realities. It's why we're seeing things happen all across our city. It's not just because we went out and did a bunch of good deeds. It's because these strong forces that seek to imprison our city have been shackled and are being bound by Jesus himself. Guys, this is amazing. I know it's hard and it's mysterious, but it is amazing. And so Jesus listens to them. He affirms them. He goes, yes, guys, I have seen a shift in the spiritual realities. But he also talks about, he says, hey, I've given you authority. It's not just in the spiritual, it's in the physical. He says, hey, I've given you authority to trample snakes and scorpions. And, you know, this, this is, uh, it, there's no, just so you know, like, we're, we're not going to bring in a bunch of scorpions and a bunch of snakes and, like, test this out, right? I don't think this is what, this is not what Jesus is talking about here. If any, it's more of a metaphorical to go, hey, guys, there is a physical reality that's being shifted. The things that tend to poison us, the things that tend to harm us, the things that tend to threaten us, I've given you authority over those things, and they will not be able to harm you when you function in my name. I've given you spiritual authority and physical authority. Things are being shifted in my name. Jesus is saying, guys, what you're doing matters. It matters spiritually. It matters physically. It matters. But then he kind of gives this word of caution. He's like, yes, yes, guys, yes. Now listen. Listen to what he says, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. We'll just pause right there. It sounds kind of weird. Like, wait a minute, what, Jesus? You're just like, yeah, you're celebrating with us now. Why, why would he, he's, he's not saying don't be excited, don't celebrate. He's saying, guys, all this is amazing, but be careful where your joy is rooted. Be careful where your joy is rooted. Be careful which foundation you choose to build your faith upon. This is so important for us, guys. You know, the reality is, is that God has a divine purpose for your life. It's what Ephesians 2.10 will tell us, that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. That's the truth. That no matter what you do, what your profession is, what your stage of life is, if you're a college student, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're an attorney, you know, if you're an accountant, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, if you are a bus driver, if you are a mechanic, if you are a waiter at a hotel, if you are whatever it is that you are, God has purposes he longs to do in you and through you. See, the risk is, just like my kids get enthralled with the flash and the flare, if we're not careful, we will start to try to find our joy and the foundation of our faith in the flash and the flare of the fruitfulness of the work around us. 
God says, he says, hey, I've called you to be a parent, but I don't want you to find your joy in the fruitfulness of your ability to be a parent. He said, I'm going to do some things in you, and I'm going to do some things through you, but please be careful. Don't build the foundation of your faith on the fruitfulness of what I'm doing through you. Guys, if you build the foundation of your faith on the fruitfulness of what God does through you, then you're standing on shaky ground. There's a couple reasons for this. You know, one reason is this, is that, you know, we tend to focus on the flash and the flare, and when we do, it is so tempting for us as people to try to take credit for the things that God does through us. As one of the great risks, if you build your faith on fruitfulness, if you find your joy in fruitfulness, is that you end up feeling like, man, I, I'm really good. Man, I'm such a good friend. Look at what God is doing in my friends. Man, I'm such a good parent. Look at my kids. Man, I am such a good teacher. My students are thriving. Man, I'm such a good roommate. Man, I, whatever it is, the fruitfulness that starts to come up around you, if you're not careful, you start to take credit for it where credit is not yours to take. So one side, the risk is, is pridefulness of thinking that you did it. But the other side, the other risk is this, is that, you know, if you try to find your, your faithfulness built upon a foundation of fruitfulness, man, when the fruitfulness begins to wane, when the fruitfulness doesn't come, what do you have left to stand on? You're left confused, discouraged. Like, wait, wait God, where are you? You know, the reality is some of you experienced unbelievable breakthrough during this fast, and some of you did not experience any breakthrough. And if the foundation of your faith is the fruitfulness of what God does through you, you're in seriously shaky territory when the, when the fruitfulness does not come. You know, I, I see this, I hear this all the time. I just talked to a friend a couple weeks ago, and they were telling me a story of a friend that they had who was in ministry. They were a pastor. And they had a very close friend diagnosed with cancer, and they prayed in faith that that person would be healed, and they weren't, and they died. And for the last decade, this person who had given their life to teaching about Christ has been running from Christ. You know, if, if we build our faith on the foundation of fruitfulness, man, we're going to be in serious trouble at times. You know, Jesus looks at us, he goes, hey, guys, hey, guys, in this life, you will have trouble. And we're like, well, is that a contradiction? Because he just said nothing will harm you. But guys, we've got to have the eternal perspective that Jesus has. You know, the reality is he conquered death. And there will come a day when the dead in Christ will rise. This is why the Apostle Paul can say things like, man, for me to live is Christ. Like everything in me is for Jesus. But man, to die, what great gain is it to die? Because then I'm with Jesus face to face. This is not morbid, fatalistic thinking. This is eternal hope and joy. Guys, when our faith is built on the foundation of Jesus' faithfulness, everything shifts. Everything shifts. He says, be careful. Be careful not to build your faithfulness on the foundation of the fruitfulness. He goes, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. He keeps going. He says, instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Guys, there, there's a, eternity is on the line. Eternity is on the line. This idea of having your name written in heaven, it doesn't strike us quite the same as it would have the original hearers. You know, these 72 disciples that Jesus is speaking to, they came from every walk of life. 
They were fishermen and tax collectors and unemployed. And, you know, it was like across the board. They were religious teachers and they were secular workers. You know, they were, it, was, it came from all walks of life. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, hey, guys, your names are written. Now, here's why this would have been significant to them. In their culture, the only time your name got written is if you had some sort of status. You know, we all take this for granted, right? The day you're born, your name's printed on a birth certificate. There it is, like in writing before you even know how to know what it is. But then the only way your name was written is that this was citizenship language. That if you became a citizen of the Roman Empire, then your name would literally be written. And suddenly you had status, you had privilege, you had access to rights that others did not have because your name had been written. And Jesus looks at his disciples. He goes, hey, guys, regardless of what this life has looked like for you, here's what you need to know. Your name is written in heaven that the God of the universe, God Almighty, knows your name. You have identity. You have status. You have position. You have privilege in the kingdom of God. And I have accomplished that for you. Jesus says, this is what we rejoice in. And when our, when our joy is rooted here, when our faithfulness is rooted here, then man, come what may in this life, we can be filled with joy. Come what may, we can be filled with faithfulness. You know, this isn't the first time in the Bible that this language of having your name written is used. It's used a fair bit, actually. And there's this one really interesting story in Exodus chapter 32, and I'll just read it quickly. So I think it illuminates what Jesus is referring to here. In Exodus 32, we're in the middle of the story of Moses with the Israelites. If you don't know that story, you, know, you can go back and read it, but Moses basically, God uses him to deliver the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, but they don't get it, and man, they just blow it. Like They start worshiping idols the moment after they've come out of captivity. They're, everything's going wrong, and, and God is pretty frustrated with these folks that he's delivered, and Moses is praying to God on behalf of the Israelites. Listen to what he says in verse 31 of Exodus 32. It says, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now, Lord, please forgive their sin. Listen to this, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Man, what love Moses had for his people. That he would look at God and go, yeah, God, you're right. These folks, they don't deserve your mercy. They don't deserve your love. They have sinned. They've fallen short of what you've called them to. But God, man, keep them. Blot me out. Like, blot me out. And look at God's response in verse 33. It says, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Ouch. But then he says, now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. It's like, wait, what, God? You just said anyone who sinned, they clearly sinned. They worshiped a golden calf. Like, they clearly sinned against you. And he's like, anyone who sins, I'll blot them out. But go ahead and lead them. I'm going to take them to the place I promised. Wait, God, are you, are you contradicting yourself? How does that work? But, you know, guys, here, here's the thing. The narrative of the, boy, of the Bible is all pointing to one figure. Moses was not the one who was to be blotted out. Moses was not the one who was to intercede and, and, and take it all on himself. God knew that there was another coming that he himself would put on flesh, that he himself would walk on this earth, that he himself would be blotted out at a cross and suffer because of the sinfulness of humanity, and he himself would conquer death and rise again to offer a name and a status and a position to anyone who would call on the name of Jesus. This is what he offers us. 
And we look over the season of prayer and fasting. He says, hey, Ethos, man, that is awesome what God has been doing in your city, what he's been doing in your church, what he's been doing across the state. It's amazing and celebrate it and keep going, but don't rejoice in the fact that there's fruitfulness. Rejoice in the fact that I have written your names in heaven, that in eternity you will be with me. This is where we find our joy. This is what our faithfulness is built upon. The foundation of our faith is not our fruitfulness, but his faithfulness. Because he's been faithful to us, we can trust in him. And he longs to work in us, and he longs to work through us. As we finish the season of fasting, it's like we're praying, God, would you give us your perspective? Would you help us to see what you see? Help us to see what it is that you long for us. And here's, here's, here's the reality. You know, this, in this season of prayer and fasting, we've had a diverse and varied levels of experience in all of this and what we, how we've watched God work. You know, I, I believe that, that we, we gained a lot of ground in the kingdom as a church family. I've had so many of you come and tell me you tried new things. You fasted from food for the first time ever in your life. Some of you have gained a, a deepened level of dependence on God to sustain you. So, some have gained literal salvation as we've watched people put their faith in Jesus and come to know him. Some, some of you have established new rhythms in your life that you never tried before, new practices of praying and seeking after God. We've taken new ground. And the invitation, I believe, for all of us is, man, let's not let it go. Let's not give up the ground that we've taken. It's so easy for us to do. <laughs> this funny thing happened uh, the week after the fast was over. My wife and I, we had been praying together like every night during the fast. It was like our habit each night we'd pray. And literally three, three nights last week, we fell asleep on the couch eating carrot cake and watching TV. <laughs> it was like, what? God, why? What happened? Like we'd come so far. You know, that's just, that's just the reality, you know? Like our tendency is to be like a wheel that falls back into a rut. And, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't feel good. You don't have to come comfort me after this. Like, I, I feel great with God. We've talked about it. We're good. Like, but, but, but what I witnessed was like, guys, this is just the reality of how it goes. That there's, we've, we've got we to keep going. We've got to keep going. Uh, the morning I wrote this sermon, God just woke me up with Ephesians 1.17 on my heart. And I was like, oh, what is that? What is that? And I felt like I was supposed to put it in here, even though it didn't fit necessarily. But here, here's what Ephesians 1.17 says. It says, this is Paul praying again for the, the Christians in Asia Minor. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, listen to this, so that you may know him better. Guys, God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. And over this past month, maybe you didn't have a lot of breakthrough. He's saying, keep going, keep going. I want you to know me. John 17, four says, this is eternal life that we may know the Father. We may know him and he wants to be known by us. Guys, we rejoice and we celebrate at the fruitfulness, but guys, it's not the foundation. The foundation is that we are known by God known by him. He knows you personally, and he longs for you to know him. And so we keep going as a church. We're not done. The, the season of prayer and fasting is a springboard for all that he wants to do in us and all that he wants to do through us. And so, um, you know, there's a couple things we want to invite you into, and, I, and I'm going to give us some space here over communion. We're going to pray for one another. I'll have some prayer prompts for that in just a minute. But I, I just want to in, invite you in. Like, we're going to keep going after the Lord. Are you guys in? Are you in? Do you want to keep? 
Are you guys in? <laughs> do you guys want to keep going? Okay, so, so here's, here's some simple things that we're going to do. Um, moving forward beyond the season of prayer and fasting, uh, starting in April, we're going to take the first Wednesday of every month and dedicate that as a day of prayer and fasting to the Lord, one day a month. First Wednesday of every month. And, and here's what we'd like to do. We're going to open up, just like we did the 24-7 prayer rooms at our office during that season, we're going to open up our office during the lunch hour on the first Wednesday of every month. And you can know that on the first Wednesday of every single month, starting in April, if you come to Ethos office at noon, there will be a group of people that are praying, worshiping, and seeking after the Lord together. And we would love for you to join us. Just come join us. Take your lunch break. Come pray with us. That will start in April, first Wednesday of April. So that's, that's one thing that we're doing. Another thing that, that, that we want to do is, is, hey, every Sunday night, we have a prayer gathering. Every single Sunday night. And you're invited. Like, you're always invited. 7 p.m. It's not another worship gathering like 9-11-5. It's completely different. We gather just to pray and to seek God, to pray for our city, to pray for the nations, to pray for our nation, to pray for one another. Man, even if you just come one Sunday night a month, commit yourself. Don't lose the ground that the Lord has taken for you over this month. Come join us and pray with us on Sunday nights. A final thing that we would encourage you to do is that prayer card, those people you've been praying for the last 30 days, don't throw it away. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, I already threw it away. It's like, That's okay. Like, it, 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 you remember the names. Write them down somewhere. Figure out, you know, there, there were eight people. Maybe put a different name on each day of the week and have to double up on one day. And, and just say, hey, today's my day to pray for this person. Today's my day. Like, keep going. Keep seeking the Lord on their behalf. He's not finished, and neither are we so we're not going to give up. But all of this, hear me out, all of this is rooted, it is built on the foundation of God's faithfulness to us, that come what may, we are a people whose joy has been secured because of what Christ has done for us. And so here, here's what we want to do. We're going to take communion. And I, I want you to, when I dismiss you, I want you to get up, go to the table, get the cup, get the bread, come, come back to your seats, or you can go, if you want to go stand somewhere else with the people that you're with, but uh, do this with somebody. And we've got some prayer prompts we're going to put on the screen here. And here's what I want you to do. This is, that, this, number one, that's Ephesians 1.17. I want to pray this for each other. So I'm literally giving you word for word what you can say here. If you're not comfortable, man, you can just read it. Just look at the person you're with as you hold the bread and the cup, the reminder that we're part of the body of Jesus and just say, God, would you give us the spirit of wisdom? Pray it for the person you're with. God, will you give this person the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know you better? And then pray this second prayer. God, would you give all of us together, this is Ephesians chapter three, would you give all of us together power so that we may know how wide and long and high and deep is the love you have for us? We're asking him to secure the ground he's taken with us and through us as we keep moving forward into all that he has for us. I'm going to pray for you. Now, I'll just kind of dismiss this to communion. Take some time to commune and pray for one another as we wrap up our time together. Lord, we love you. We love you only because you first loved us. And Lord, this is the foundation that our names are written. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are here and they're going, man, I don't know if my name is written. Father, would you speak to them? Would you show them that you have paved the way through Jesus? Lord, I pray that, that as we leave here today, every, that every person in here would know, know that you love them. Would you fill them with your spirit? Come, Lord, come as we commune, as we pray for one another, Lord. Strengthen us to know you more. 
It's in the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen.